Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Hey, welcome back for another episode of the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Hey, thanks for the, the all the downloads, the connections lately on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram, all those places. Uh, I always love connecting with listeners to learn more about what you want to learn. So keep doing that and keep messaging me about the books or recommendations, anything like that. Love hearing those those ideas. Today, I interviewed... Michael Bungay Stanier. And for those loyal listeners who've been with us from the very beginning, I interviewed Michael about a couple years ago on his book, The Coaching Habit. And I love this book. And we actually, uh, within our organization, Zenium, we circulated this throughout a lot of our managers and leaders within the company. And we just took a, a big liking to this book. There's a lot of really great tangible things in this book. So in this episode, we don't talk about the that book necessarily, but we do talk about a new ebook that Michael co-authored with a couple other folks. It's called The Truth and Lies of Performance Management. And so our, our discussion is all about performance management uh, why it may or may not be broken, and what we as uh, leaders of organizations and HR people, what we can do about it. So there's a lot of great stuff in this podcast. Uh, Michael's a wealth of knowledge, and you're really going to appreciate what he has to say. Uh, please, 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 if you listen on Apple Podcasts, go and give us a review that helps other people like you find the podcast, and that's how we can continue growing and uh, getting new, fresh content to people like you. So without further ado, I'm going to step aside. Here's Michael Bungay Stanier. Hey, Michael, so great to have you back on the podcast. Welcome. My I know it's been a, you know, a year or two years or something. Yeah. So it's nice to come back. You're even better looking than I remember. Oh, oh how nice of you. It's, it is good <laughs> to see your face. Good to see your face. So the last time we talked, it was about the coaching habit. That book is completely yeah. taken off. Fantastic work. And you got Thank some you. you got some new material now. It's called The Truth and Lies of Performance Management. It's co-written by you, David Creelman, and Anna Tavis. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, David's an HR consultant and expert, writes regularly for HBR and a, a range of different magazines. Anna Tavis is actually an academic based out of New York. Uh, she's been published in the print copy of HBR on performance management a few times. So uh, we brought together our kind of point of view on performance management, but we really wanted it to be robust. So we've got these other smart people helping out. Yeah, so you brought the all-star team together to write this book. and <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so I guess a good place to start with this is what's wrong with the way most organizations are treating performance management right now? Well, I mean, honestly, everybody listening to this already knows what's wrong with performance management because it's been – in conversation for quite a while, which is that old way of thinking about performance management, which is, you know, once a year we get together and we give you a score out of five and therefore we give you some money or not. 
it kind of just doesn't work and it doesn't work on a way of generating performance. It doesn't work on a way of generating engagement. It really has been a kind of messy, unsatisfying process. And it might have been as long ago as 10 years ago, maybe a little less, that uh, Adobe and others took the lead on that going, we're abandoning ratings, we're abandoning this whole performance management process. And since then, there's just been this ever-growing, kind of like the emperor has new clothes moment where everyone's finally going, yeah, you're right. I mean, I thought it was just me that thought this sucked, but apparently everybody thinks this sucks. <laughs> so we're all thinking, okay, if performance management doesn't work, the old way of doing it, what's the future of performance management? What's, what, what, what are we going to be doing over the next three, five, ten years? And the basic answer is nobody really knows. <laughs> and uh, why we're interested in this, just to make the connection for people, is, you know, because at Boxer Crayons, we stand for teaching busy managers practical coaching skills so they can coach in 10 minutes or less. What we do know or we think pretty clearly is that performance management in the future will have some role of your managers and leaders needing to be more coach-like as part of the work that they do. But we were just curious to know there's a lot of rumor and myth and innuendo and stuff swirling about. What are people actually doing? How did we get to this place? I mean, like performance management, the, what, is it, what was it really intended to do in the first place? And how do we get to this rating thing there where everybody's so unhappy about what the yeah. purpose of it, it actually is? Like, wh where do we go from here? You know that as our work is increasingly about the amorphous thinking, soft skill stuff that needs to be done. There was, you know, if you if you go want to go back to Frederick Taylor, where it was all about how many, what is it, pins can a man make in an hour, and what's the process for doing that? You can see how applying machine measurement against a machine job makes sense. And it's just basically a bit of a legacy around. We need to track how people are doing somehow. Yeah. We need to find a reason to pay some people a bonus and some people not a bonus or to give them a pay rise or give them a promotion. How do we do that? And it, we've just been trying to figure that out all along. And it's it's tricky, right? It's it's tricky just working with other people, yet alone actually saying, here's how we have to lift your game and here's how we're going to figure out how to pay you in a way that feels fair. In your book, you have a really cool chart on what areas of performance management needs to be fixed dive through that a little bit just to give listeners a sense for what areas that the data is showing that need to be fixed out of performance yeah. management one of the key messages that needs to come out from the report that i think listeners will be interested in is going look almost certainly your performance management approach can be improved and it's really early days in figuring this out so even the people who've been doing this uh, and been starting to make changes in their performance management approach they haven't done a whole lot of it, they're still trying to figure it out as well. So part of why we're doing this is just to actually reduce people's anxiety about thinking, oh my God, everybody else has changed everything. We haven't. What should we be doing around that or not? But what there are, there are, there are levers for you to be thinking about, which may or may not be appropriate for your organization. So I guess that's one of the key takeaways, which is there's no magic silver bullet approach that works for everybody. You've got to shape your performance management to fit your culture and fit your organization. But the things you want to be thinking about are, first of all, ratings or no ratings. There's a way, there's good science that says ratings can actually be a little demoralizing for people. People disengage around their ratings rather than get more engaged around that. 
And there's a place that if you demolish ratings and you just demolish ratings, that can create a bunch of uncertainty for people around, well, where do I stand and what am I doing around that? So you need to figure out what might work best in your culture. The, the general trend, though, is that people are moving away from ratings, although most people haven't yet. But they're certainly in the air. The thing that's happened most often is people have gone, look, a once a year conversation doesn't work. We need to do that. We need to have this at least twice a year or maybe four times a year around that. So just inc- the biggest change that's happened so far, because there's incremental change that definitely is happening. It's just increasing the number of formal moments of sitting down to have a conversation about, hey, how are you doing? What's less clear is how to have that conversation because it's one thing to go, okay, here's what we're doing now. And then there's a whole nother thing to go, how do we make the change management of that actually happen? And in fact, there's um, a podcast series that we launched called Performance Management Stories, which is kind of doing what you're doing to me right now Mm -hmm. is me interviewing people who've led performance management in their organization and gone, tell me what, okay, what did you really do? And what's really rolled out and what's really working and what's not working. So we just get more actual stories about the thing that's actually happening in people's approach to performance management. That's a bit of a scattergun approach just to cover up the fact that I don't have that chart in front of me. No, that's perfect. <laughs> but, if, but, if, if, but if you do and you're looking at it, is there a topic in particular that's on that chart that you're like, Michael, talk to me about this? I know. I, I think I, what I really was hoping you'd say, which you basically said it, was that there's there's no silver bullet to performance management. And I think yeah. what's it's not clear that there's just like one methodology for everybody to use. And I think what you said was kind of interesting. Is like there's there's some shifting going on with with people thinking like we need to change our performance management system because everybody else is doing it. But I think everybody else is in the same spot. They they don't know right, where exactly. to go. They don't. So there's a shift happening, whether it's just in our heads or we're actually making incremental shifts. But I'm curious where this is where this is actually shifting to. What's being changed about the performance management first, if yeah. anything? Well, I think um, the, the starting point for lots of people is we just need a few more conversations. Yeah. So we're going to formalize the expectation that your manager should be speaking to you two or three or four times a year. What often follows that is like, you know, we've got to get our managers better at having these conversations. So that's often providing training around coaching skills or training around feedback skills and kind of looking to make that happen. Then there's the kind of the hope that somehow technology is going to come in and save us all. And, you know, there's all sorts of platforms and providers who are trying to be the people who go, here's the easy way to make performance management an ongoing part of that process. I, it doesn't feel to me that, that there's anything's emerged yet as being, here's the technical, the technology savior around this. Um, I think lots of organizations are figuring out ways to make technology, uh, make it a more effective process. But, you know, I was talking to, uh, Gary, the uh, CEO of WD40 around this, you know, the kind of lubricant spray. Yeah. And he's like, we proudly, and there are, I think there are like 2,000 people in their organization. So medium size, you know, they're a billion dollar organization. So um, and they're like, we are proudly still a pen and paper approach to this because sure. we, we want we want you to have kind of coffee stains on this piece of paper because it becomes your map your guideline your piece of conversation between you and your manager there's other people who definitely moved over to technology going here's where we record it here's how we make it happen 
particularly the larger organizations where paper and pen becomes a little less scalable. It seems like with technology, uh, since you brought it up, it seems like it should just shift administrative burden of like managing right. the performance management. So like reminders and maybe documentation mm-hmm. systems, exactly. but really it shouldn't, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe it shouldn't be the end all be all like, oh, it's going to manage our entire system yes. and, and manage it for us. and. Your, ro- your, ro- your, ro- your robots and AI are not going to be able to have this conversation no. to figure out how to have that, that, how to engage that person and have them, you know, kind of focused on doing more great work, work that has more impact and work that has more meaning as well. Yeah. I've heard statements from a lot of people either inside my organization or people I've interviewed on my podcast just about performance appraisals in general. Like, why do we need them in the first place? Or why do we need to have ratings? Let's scrap them. What are you hearing from most people um, about just performance appraisals? What what changes do they want to make to those? Well, people want to know how they're doing. Yeah. They do. They, They want to know, you know, am I doing a good job or am I not doing a good job? People also want to know, am I getting paid or not? Am I getting a pay rise? Yeah. Part of the biggest challenge is we've collapsed performance and management into the same phrase. So it's now performance and management. And often there's a, just an inherent tension between the two, which is um, to manage people, you tend to go, here's how you're doing, here's, here's where you stand, here's, um, here's your bonus for hitting your targets. And performance is how can I get you to – be at your best and help deliver work at your best. And, you know, in the, in the report, we actually have, uh, an example. It's like, okay, you say to the lumberjack, all right, I'm so excited to be your lumberjack manager. I really want you to do well. I've got your back. Let's really push things here. How many trees do you think you're going to chop down today? And the guy goes, ah, oh, I think, I think a hundred. You're like, that's amazing. That's great. It's like it's really it's like at the very edge of what's possible for you. But I love your ambition and striving for have that impact. And then you go into the management thing going. And, of course, you only get your bonus if you hit your targets. So knowing that, how many trees are you looking to cut down to? And, and the lumberjacks go, actually, when I said 100, what I was really talking about was 40. But I think 40 is a target that I can definitely hit. And so you have you have that tension that kind of plays out in, in that tiny little story. So that's what I think people were up against, which is like how do we figure out those different things and have really two different tracks. One is about a measurement piece going, here's how you're doing and here's how you're going to get paid. Yeah. Another is here's how we help you step up to do your very best work. I think that's why like paper performance practices are so challenging because that exact example that you gave it's like what if we we measured an annual performance appraisal based on those number of trees that you cut down and because i'm gonna get paid off of the the hundred i'm like oh actually i'm gonna back off i'm gonna go down to 40 i'm gonna set the bar lower because i know i'll hit it and then i'll get my bonus right exactly you know the saying what can be measured can be manipulated yeah uh, so as soon as you set that up, you you start playing those games. What kind of creative things are people doing from a pay for performance uh, practice perspective? I'm not sure I've seen anything super creative around trying to make that actually work. I do think there's a couple of best practices. One is, you know, maybe we just can't do pay for performance because it's it makes it sound like you're you're a rugged individual and it's all down to you. And the truth is that we are, I think, more and more dependent on the performance of those around us to truly shine. 
So it's more like how's your team doing? How's your business unit doing? And kind of measuring success at that level rather than uh, carrying on the myth of the individual solo great leader piece. So you have some, you have a lot of great research throughout this ebook, and I, I encourage people to go download it. I want your opinion. Your opinion, based on all this this uh, information, what do you what do you feel about the the performance appraisal? Like, do we do we need to scrap it as organizations and really go to the the coaching model and and just have those one on one conversations all the time, or or do, do we need the measurement? It's such a big question. <laughs> I know it is. And you know the, the 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 answer that's the best answer, but it also sounds like a cop out, is to say, well, it depends. Yeah. It depends on your organization, and it depends what your goals are for your organization. But different people have different agendas. So you know, I have an agenda that I'm wanting for the world, which is a, a call for people to do their best work. You know, that's why I wrote the coaching habit yeah. because I think coaching is one of those foundational skills that not only allows people to work less hard, but allows those around them to have more impact and, you know, be a more fulfilled, more successful person in the work that they're having. So that's kind of my the agenda I have, which means that I have a bias to, you know, more coach-like conversations, more clarity about what success looks like, more kind of setting ambitious personal goals to become this and to do that. And to have your manager and leader to have your back to go, part of my job is to see you fully express yourself and have the most impact possible. Your podcast on the performance management stories, what are a couple of things that you've learned from from those interviews that maybe you didn't think of before you, you talked to some of these smart people doing some great work? Well, I think one of the key things I've learned is A, how different everybody's approaches you know really you get everything from we do it on a scrap of paper to we have a we have a big technology platform that does it around the world second i think is that this stuff is changing slowly and incrementally rather than in a huge leap it's really rare that somebody blows it all up and goes we're starting again with something completely different more likely it's like okay we've made this tweak let's run this through a couple of cycles and see how that works and whether we need to make further adjustments or or not. Now, I reckon you can ever get into an, a good conversation about is incrementalism smart change management or is it cowardice? You could go you could go either way on that. But it does lead me to the third piece, which is around deciding how to change your system is nothing if you don't get really clear on the change management behind what's required. Because you and your HR department or learning and development department or people and culture department may have come up with this amazing approach. But what you need to know is that everybody, even the people who hate the current approach, are still wedded to the current approach. So you've got to be thinking about, so how do we roll this out? How do we get people to engage? How do we engage our C-suite so that they're supporting this in the appropriate way? And you've got to be thinking about your 12-month change management plan, not just what's the solution for the new performance management approach. With the, with the change that is, is happening with performance management, who is that usually led by? Is it, is it HR saying, we've got issues with our performance management system? We need to make a change, or is it usually the C level saying we're just not getting what we need out of uh, out of our people, yeah. and it's it's hard to manage performance. Like we just need to change. Like where does it usually come from? It, it normally comes from out, what I've seen anyway, outside the C level suite, um, and led by HR, mm-hmm. 
and typically some combination of HR and somebody in there who's OD. So HR are like, we care about comp and, comp, comp and and making that all happen. OD is we care about change management and trying to get the best out of people and making that happen. I mean, that's a, a crude generalization, but that's roughly true. And the people that work, if you can get your C-level actually thoroughly engaged in this and caring about it and really behind us going, we get this is a business priority, not just a latest thing that HR seems to be caring about and I don't care one way or the other. There seems to be a really strong correlation between getting your, your C-suite involved and on, and have, not just having your back, but being an active proponent for it and the success of it bedding down in organizations. A huge component to performance management, and I know you're a fan of, is, is coaching. That's just a, yeah. a humongous component. And that's why you wrote a book, The Coaching Habit. And that's how we started exactly. this episode talking about it. Yeah. So a, a couple of years ago, you and I talked about talked about that book. It's a fantastic book. I want people to go back and listen to that and get your oh, book because yeah. it's great stuff. Thank you. But since you wrote that book and since you've had all these conversations, what have you learned about coaching that can make you more of a, an effective coach uh, that you sh- you'd wanted to share with listeners and with me? Well, I think the thing that we've learned is it's really useful to understand what people's resistance is around coaching. Mm-hmm. Because if you're Michael or maybe Brendan and you're like, no, I'm already a believer, it's easy for you to kind of think, well, I think this is awesome, so other people should think it's awesome as well. But in fact... There's a number of different points of resistance which stop even good-hearted managers and leaders becoming more coach-like. You know, and it starts off with the, I don't have time for this coaching malarkey. You know, because people think that coaching as a manager is like an executive coaching thing, so it's like an hour-long conversation. Yeah. And, of course, we're like, no, you're right, you don't, because if you can't coach in 10 minutes or less, you don't have time to coach. But, honestly, people still come back and go, well, Brandon, that's fine, but I still don't have time to coach. I mean, even if I could do it in 10 minutes or less, I can't add coaching onto anything because I am flat out. And, of course, we say, well, you're right, because we're not about adding coaching. That doesn't work. We're about transforming to what you currently do to make you more coach-like. So it's actually transforming what's already there. And then people go back, well, that's all well and good, but I don't even want to be a coach. I mean, I've met coaches. They're weird and they're <laughs> everywhere. And they're like, I, I'm just, an, I'm normal. I'm a normal person. Don't make me be a coach. And, you know, to that, our answer is, you're right. You don't want to be a coach. You want to be more coach-like. You just want to be you, but be more coach-like as a, as a leadership trait. And to that, people go, well, that's interesting, but I don't even know what that means. I mean, what what is this coaching thing that you're talking about? And for us, we stay very focused on a behavior change. We say, look, coaching is staying curious a little bit longer and rushing to action and advice just a little bit more slowly. And now, of course, people are kind of intrigued, but they do then have a final objection, which is, but okay, what's in it for me? I mean, I get why being more coach-like can help my organization, maybe performance management, maybe just productivity or engagement, and also why people I'm managing and leading would like me to be more coach-like because I get more attention and I'm encouraged to be more self-sufficient and autonomous and all that good stuff. But what's in it for me? And our answer to that is, look, we reckon if you're more coach-like, you get to work less hard but have more impact. And that kind of gets people interested. And now we're into a conversation about, well, maybe this isn't some weird HR initiative that I don't care about. Maybe there's something actually valuable here. So that's a detailed answer to your bigger question, which is 
you know, what am I learning about trying to make coaching happen in organizations? It's like you've got to be clear about where the points of resistance are and then systematically tackle those points of resistance. Well said, Michael. Hey, I appreciate you coming back on the podcast. Fun discussion. You're you're an amazing guy. Uh, where can people <laughs> find you. your book, uh, the the new one, The Truth and Lies of Performance Management, and also The Coaching Habit? Where can people find more about those books and, and, and you? Yeah, that's perfect. So um, the best place to go to really the one, the one website that rules them all is boxofcrayons.com. Um, boxofcrayons.com. That's where you find information about our coaching programs. It's also where you'll find the downloadable report for the performance management piece as well. Uh, of course, if you just Google the truth and lies of performance management, maybe add box of crayons. You're definitely going to find that link. Awesome. All right, Michael Bungay Stanier, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Pleasure. My pleasure, Brandon. It's nice to have, have the conversation again. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.